Listen, everyone, I'm, I have a lot of information. I'm going to be going very, very quickly because I want to get it all to you this morning. You can get your sermon notes online now, after, follow, study, review, go through these things. I think this is, I'm going to be bold and say that this is an infallible message this morning. And by that, I mean every word that I believe is going to be spoken is what God wants us to hear and what he wants us to put into application. Before we go into the word of the Lord, our two-minute moment of motivation, I want to introduce to you the CEO of Disney, uh, the Disney Corporation, Bob Iger. Enjoy. You want me to talk about when I come home at night and my son's asking what I did today? And I actually say, well, I had a meeting to talk about you know, what are the core attributes of a Disney princess. One of the most important things for us is show young women who are empowered. It's vital for us to tell stories that better reflect the world that we're doing business in. There's no way that you can achieve great gains uh, without taking great chances. I'm going to cover a number of subjects. Leadership attributes, how to manage creativity, how to develop a strategy. The role of humor in the workplace is just an extraordinary distraction, and there really is no place for humor at the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> I'm going to tell some interesting stories about some of the biggest acquisitions the Walt Disney Company has made. There's a picture on my desk of my shaking hands with Steve Jobs. That moment, enabled me to say to Steve, I got this crazy idea. We want to buy Pixar. When you create a brand, ask yourself the question. When I put that brand name on the product, what does it convey? If I say to you, Disney, you know exactly what it is. There's a feeling inside you. You immediately have a visceral feeling about it. My greatest hope for the next generation of business leaders is that they bring to the job great integrity, and they achieve things that ultimately create a better world and a future that looks brighter uh, than the present. I'm Bob Iger, and this is my master class. Amen. Uh, who would have thought when we were children reading these little books, I was sharing with a friend of mine that I used to have an amazing comic book collection. I started it in 1975. I had all the Spider-Man, Black Panther, Avenger comic books. And one day, maybe when I was about 15 or 16, I said, I don't need these anymore. And I threw them away. I could probably pay for the vision just by auctioning those. Who would have thought that children's stories could garner billions and billions of dollars. I'm going to talk to you about the power of imagination when we get there. But today, the guys are going to get me going. I want to finish naming those seven mountains. And I really need you to focus on what I'm going to teach you this morning. Media, can you get me going with my, my subject? Let me go back and just show you again. We're going to name the seven mountains and teach you why it's important for us to be relevant as, as Christians. 
There are two scriptures that I want you to see. They're critical scriptures. I'm going to read them very quickly. Revelation chapter 17. I'm going to read just the ninth verse. It describes the woman, the great whore, who is polluting the mountains. And the Bible says, here is the mind that hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains upon which the woman sits. The woman sits upon seven mountains. The church is also a female and she is called to join this woman on the seven mountains to prove whose God is God. And it's the absence of the body of Christ from the mountains of culture that makes Christianity irrelevant to the world. The second scripture that I want to show you is from the book of Ephesians. It talks about what we do wrestle against, for we wrestle not against each other. We make a commitment this morning that we will never fight, fuss with, or argue with a fellow believer. That's a good place for that. Thank you. That's my personal commitment. I don't know what yours are because we do not. And we can extend it beyond believers and say human beings. We do not fight people. We do not war with people. That is the distinction. No matter what wars are going on in the world, we are not called to fight human beings. The battle is not flesh and blood. It is against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness, rulers of the darkness, wicked spirits that are lodged where? High places. You could substitute the term high place for mountains, altars, or raised places. Demonic spirits, more than just wanting to inhabit people, they seek to sit in high places of disciplines, industry, and culture so they can sway the general society a particular way. There's only one place that demonic spirits want society to go, and that's down the road to hell. All right, it's very important that you get those two scriptures. Now, let's go. The definition for a mountain, by the way, you can use these terms anonymously. You can say an altar, a mountain, or a raised place. It's all the same thing. Though in the Bible mountains are literal, I'm going to be talking about them figuratively. Because the literal also points to something spiritual or, or figurative. A mountain is a raised place, just like an altar is a raised place. A high place is a raised place. And what that altar, that mountain, and that raised place does, it affects and it shapes people's thoughts, people's behavior, and ultimately their practices in society. There are spiritual forces behind behavior. There are spiritual forces behind trends, behind philosophies, behind ideologies. The real battle is not what you can see. The battle is what you cannot see. That is why we do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. Faith gives us access into the unseen realm where the real battle is taking place. People are arguing, is it Russia against Ukraine? That's not really the battle. The battle is behind the scenes. It's what we cannot see that's most dangerous to us, not what we can see. The first mountain that I want to show you is called the mountain of God. This mountain is designed to release the presence of God. Every mountain has a particular stream. Some have multiple streams. The mountain of God is designed to release the presence of God. What then is the mountain of God? The global church is the mountain of God. That's important that you understand that the church is the mountain of God. That is why Jesus teaches that we are a city that's set up on a hill. 
we are set in a high place. In fact, the Bible teaches that He has raised us up and made us to sit where? In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The experience of the believer should be from the high place. You may not be able to write everything. Don't try. Get the notes. Don't try because of the speed in which I'm going to go. Number two about the this particular thing. The church, listen to this, is the guardian of religion. And at that, pure religion. The job of the church is to make sure that religion remains pure. The church is not to throw away religion in our ignorance, but we are to purify religion. James teaches us that pure religion is to visit the fatherless, the widows, keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. We are guardians of religion. If there's pure religion, there's also impure religion. And we've got to work to make sure that there is a distinction between religion that is pure and religion that is impure. Let's keep going here. The church is also the repository. It's where God has placed two key things. Number one, spirituality. Number two, truth. Those two things are lodged in the body of Christ. If people want to know how to be spiritual, they should learn that from the church. They shouldn't go buy tea leaves and go to shamans and things like that. It is the job of the church to teach people what true spirituality is. It is also the job of the church to teach people what truth really is. And there's only one way to acquire truth. Jesus puts it like this, John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Watch his exclusivity. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. The church is responsible to teach the world true spirituality, what it is to be connected to God and what the essence of truth really is. And truth is not a list of facts. Truth is in fact a person. When you get the person of Jesus Christ, you get the truth. Because the church is a guardian and a repository, there is three characteristics that the church must operate by. Number one, the church must be powerful. Luke 10, 19. The church must operate in power. Say amen to that. The church must operate in power. Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Number two, the church must strive to be professional. Proverbs twelve twenty six. In all that we do, we must be excellent in what we do. This could take a whole day to talk about how do we make sure that people are developed, trained, and properly placed so that the church can be a professional organization giving revelation to the professionality of Jesus Christ. And number three, the church must also be practical. We must teach people according to James chapter two, what works are and what faith is. You can't just have faith and no works. You have to have some practical understanding of what it is to be a Christian. Here's what you do with this truth. Here's what you make out of this truth, practicality or pragmatic. That's what the church is called to do. This is what God has promised the mountain in the last days, the days in which we're living in, God is going to raise the, can I say, the profile of the church above every other mountain. And as a result of this, all nations will begin to flow up to the mountain of God. And that is not contingent on you and I. That's going to be a God thing. And I told you last week, if you and I want to play a fool, if I want to play a fool, God will simply move us like a chess piece and get his job done. 
That's important that you understand that God doesn't need me, doesn't need you. It's a privilege for us to be used by God. Are, are you following what I'm saying? That's critically important for you to understand. I'm not going to hold up God's work by, talk, by having an attitude. God will simply shift me over. And if he has to, he'll raise up the rocks to get the job done. Okay, there's a promise there. The second mountain, um, two more things rather. Healing also flows from the mountain of God. We discussed this last week. There are two tributaries that flow out of the body of Christ. There are medicine and miracles. What miracles cannot do, medicine is required to do. And what medicine fails to do, miracles will, will do the job. And that's why there's a river that flows out of the body of Christ for the healing of the nations. I discovered this this week. Law, which is jurisprudence, should also flow out of the church. So while we were spending time kicking out all the lawyers, we need them back in the church. When we're busy telling all the lawyers are liars, we need them because the law of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem. And nations will say, teach us thy law. And so we need to recover jurisprudence back in the body of Jesus Christ. The second mountain, we talked about this last week, the mountain of finance. The tributary that flows out of the mountain of finance is practical power. If you have resources or means, you will have power in this world. Let's move into this one. This is the mountain of means or mammon. You decide what you want to do with finances. If you want to be a good steward over your money, then it becomes a means to an end. If you want to worship your money, it will become, it will transform overnight into a spirit called mammon. It will enslave you. So you decide. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. All right? Now, there are four levels to climbing this mountain. Can I teach them quickly to you? The first level is begging. You get this in Luke chapter 16, when the steward talks about the things that he can and cannot do. The first level is begging. He says, to beg, I am ashamed. In other words, the body of Christ should never beg for anything. Say amen to that. Now, let me, let me teach you something quickly. Sometimes we can use giving as a cloak for begging. And we've got to be very careful in the body of Christ. We don't teach people to give so that we can continually beg people, give, give, give. Teach them to give because it's a principle in the scripture. Then give them something of value into which they should give. That's why you should have the best singers, the best musicians, the best preachers, the best staff, because people are going to give into that. And what are you doing? You're giving them value for their seed or their money. The second level is called digging. That's work or labor. Labor is an essential level, but it's not a destination. Can I teach you something quickly? Do not work to retire. Work to be trusted. I hope you understand what I'm saying. God did not intend for you and I to work all the days of our lives until we're 65, 70, retire on a pension. He gives us work so that he can prove whether or not we can be trusted for the next level. The level after work is called means. That's finances. When God says, I can trust you at the work level, I will then release to you the resources of the earth because I can trust you at the work level. So I think one of the reasons why the church is struggling, you can't say I'm serving 
serving God, working for God, can't come on time, can't deliver, can't do this, and then say, God, give me the resource of the earth. He won't do that until you can be trusted at the work level. That's the digging level. After you master the work level comes the money level or the means level. That's when God takes the wealth of the sinner and he transfers that, converts that to you. But money is not a destination. It is a level just below true riches. True riches is the level where you begin to operate like Jesus. You do things that money can't buy. You begin to give people their sight. You cause people to walk again. You restore their hearing. You raise them from the dead. That's true riches. These are the four levels on this mountain that we all have to climb. I personally want to get past the digging level because I'm tired of digging. Don't mind what you tell me. I know what I'm telling you about my own life. Now watch. Believers must and we will conquer this mountain. Can I teach you a scripture that you probably never heard taught? Make friends with the unrighteous mammon so that when you fail, they will receive you into eternal habitation. In other words, God wants us to understand and master the financial level. How can he not want that for you if he's waiting to transfer the wealth of the wicked into our hands? We will conquer that level one day in Jesus' name. I believe that. And finally, watch this. These are scriptures that promises us what God is going to do at this level. Proverbs 13, I told you, the wealth of the sinner is laid up. Ecclesiastes 10 and 19 talks about money answereth all things. All these mountains that I'm going to talk about, I want you to know this. Money lends a voice to, speaks, and undergirds all of the mountains of life. Without money, the mountains of life do not matter and they cannot exist. Let's go a little further. Isaiah 60, when you have some time, after you find out that you should arise and shine for your light has come, then you will see that the forces of the Gentiles, the gold, the silver, are being converted to you and they're coming to the altar of God. And Haggai 2, God says, I'm going to shake the earth and then you will find out that the silver and the gold is mine. And in this place, I'm going to give peace. The third mountain is the mountain of government. From this mountain flows the stream of politics. This is a critical mountain for us to understand. And in fact, we are mostly absent from this mountain. This mountain determines the direction of the world. Decisions that are made on this mountain determine where nations go. That's one of the reasons why God says, first of all, I want you to pray for leaders. Don't insult Mr. Trudeau if you're not praying for him. I know everybody wants to be a politician, uh, couch politician, but our real job, if this is not our mountain, is to pray for them so that we may live a godly and peaceable life because it's the will of God that none should perish, but all should be, should be saved. Let's go a little further. This mountain also does this. It has been placed upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. This I find to be interesting, and the, the next point is going to, flesh this out. God has placed government on the shoulders of his son. The reason why he's done that is the only one that's worthy to rule the nations is the one who's given his life for the nations. So all the political systems really they're just temporary holding places until the church realizes that the government shall be upon his shoulders. What does this mean then? It means this brothers and sisters that the mountain of government is groaning for righteous people to be in government. 
It's crying. That's why we go through cycles all the time. You vote liberal this year, and then two years later, the approval is down. You vote new Democrat, you vote Republican, because those are cycles and those are finite governments. What God really wants to see, watch, is what? Let me go back there so you can see the scripture, Proverbs 29, 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. So we need people who are called to government who won't shy away from their Christianity, but will believe God that they can be Christians in parliament. They don't have to kowtow to the laws. They can be Daniels, they can be Josephs, and they can be presidents even while in Babylon. I know I'm preaching right. All right, I know, I know, I'm preaching right. Here's an interesting one. This is the mountain of entertainment. From this mountain flows the stream of pleasure. That's why I did Bob Iger, because I'm going to show you something. This mountain, in my estimation, the way it exists right now, is stronger than the church. It, it is more captivating to your children than a Sunday morning worship service. In fact, your children are sitting there with their hands on their jaw, falling asleep even while I'm preaching. But if I put the right music on, this will wake them up. The mountain of pleasure is critical. Watch. Can I show you something? Uh, give me my, my, my video, guys. Watch this quickly. A 30-second video, everyone. Can you go there, guys? So just so you know, I'm going to go quickly. Those are people not going to Rama service. Those are people going to the Dallas Cowboys game last Sunday. Now here's the question you want to ask yourself. Thanks guys. The question you want to ask yourself is, why are they doing that when it's a ticketed event? You have your seat already. It's the power of pleasure. It's more enticing than the church. Now, can I tell you why this is interesting? Because the Bible talks so much about how God wants you and I to have pleasure. Even in his presence, there's fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You will drink of the rivers of his pleasure. But watch what we do. We teach an angry God. He's upset with you. He's mad with you. No earrings. Stop doing this. Stop. Oh, God's upset. How do you find pleasure in that kind of God? Don't you dare dance at your wedding. So all of a sudden, all the pleasure is sucked out of the body of Jesus Christ, the repository of where real pleasure should be. And upon this mountain sits this woman and she begins to entertain the world. This mountain cultivates imagination. That's why they will take a silly crab, a crab, give the crab a West Indian accent and make millions of dollars. Under the sea, there she is. Sha la 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 la, gonna kiss the girl. Billions of dollars, and I'm up here preaching for change. The world is smarter than us because they don't deny our wiring. We were wired for pleasure. When God created us, do you know where he placed us? He placed us in a garden in a place called Eden. The word Eden means pleasure. The garden is not Eden. The garden was placed in Eden. Our starting point was a place of pleasure. And we have thrown that pleasure all out of the body of Christ. We don't want to go out to do anything. 
And so all of a sudden our children are being pleasurized. This is actually video games, tourism, music, arts, you name it, television. All of this sits under culture, sits under pleasure. Let's go a little further. This mountain, what it does, I'll go back one more. It actually cultivates imagination. Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes. He said, I did everything I wanted to do. I drank, I ate, I built gardens, I entertained myself. He, he started to realize that without God, it's futile, but he's not eliminating the need for, for pleasure. Watch, this mountain satisfies our Edenic longing. We long for Eden, we long for pleasure. That's why today men are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We've got to come back to this mountain and sit upon this mountain. Watch closely, brothers and sisters. I'm almost there. Here's a scripture for you to think about. Psalm 36 and verse 8. God says, you're going to be satisfied with the fatness of my house. And I'm going to make you drink of the rivers of my pleasure. God wants, can I say this? It may sound silly. God wants us to have fun. God, want, God wants you to travel. And when you travel, he wants you to eat food. And he wants you to sit on the beach. And he wants you to enjoy yourself. And he, he's okay. He's okay if you dance. He's okay. In fact, he sings over you. That's how much he wants you to have pleasure. And I owe what he would do for you if you decided that you wanted to go into movies and film and television and video games. What he would do for you so that we can sanctify this mountain and teach people that in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures for evermore. The woman sits on this mountain. I think this is the fifth mountain, the mountain of education. From here comes philosophy, the love of wisdom. This is another area that we're not taking seriously. This mountain, it's very critical. Why? Because it's the mountain of thought. And at that, young minds are being trained on this mountain. It's the mountain of academia. It's the mountain of school and education. Ready? Let's go a little further. Upon this mountain, ideas are forged. This is where people start thinking. When they met Paul in Athens, they said, come up to this place called the Oropagus. We're here sitting all day, merging over ideas and musing over ideas. It's a place of intellectualism. And I believe that the body of Christ should bear intelligent fire. We just shouldn't have fire, but our fire should be intelligent. It should make sense to people because we have the intelligentsia of the spirit. We have the mind of Christ. Can I say this boldly? There should be no ignorant people in the body of Christ. None. There should be no one that says, I can't read. I can't do that. You've got the mind of Christ. You've got the heart of God. Upon this mountain, young minds today are being shaped. And oh, are they being shaped. From the halls of academia, they are being shaped to be the leaders. Can I teach you something? The gift of teaching is not for Sunday school only. The gift of teaching is for this mountain. And you've got to understand that when God gives you the gift of teaching, it's not so much that you go to teacher's college. Yes, you can do that. But God gives us the gift of teaching to function, guess where? In the mountain of education. We begin to shape philosophy. Here's what God says I'm going to do. All of our children at some point will be taught of the Lord. Great shall be the peace of your children. This is the scripture that says no weapon in the last verse formed against us. 
Do you see that? When our children are being taught, then we can go to the last verse and say, no weapon formed against us. Often we quote scriptures out of context, no weapon formed while they're destroying our home, right? No weapon formed, the enemy's beating you up left and right because it's all in a context. If our children are taught of the Lord, great shall be the peace of our children. They shall be far from oppression. The mountain of family, this is, I believe, the sixth one. This is the place or the stream of procreation or progeny. This is where we multiply according to Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. This is the mountain of watch, imaging and continuity. This is the place of multiplication where we begin to image and I begin to produce after my kind. You produce after your kind and the race continues. Critical mountain. If the enemy wants to fight, there are two mountains he fights. He fights the mountain of God and he fights the mountain of family. He squats in the other mountains, but he fights these mountains vehemently. Watch, ladies and gentlemen, watch. This is the mountain of quivers and arrows. The blessed man, his quiver is filled with these. In other words, your children are designed to subdue the enemy if we've got mastery on this mountain. We beat the enemy in the second, third, and fourth generation, or we are destroyed by him in the second, third, and fourth generation. Ready? This is the mountain of vines and olives. This is where your spouse and your children are of vines around your table. This is the mountain of fruitfulness. And so we have to fight for this particular mountain. It's critically important. I believe I'm at my last mountain, the blessed man. Thank you so much. Multiply, subdue the earth. This is the final mountain. I think I made it. The mountain of media, the stream of proclamation, the mountain of media. This one is so important. I'll take three minutes on this one. Ready? This is the mountain watch of information and communication. And we live in an information age. This mountain is critical. The mountain of information and communication. When I studied this, I realized that what we need when we approach this mountain is discernment. Because so much information is coming at us and we're prone to believe any and everything. We have to discern. Watch, brothers and sisters. Let's go one step further. This is also the mountain of technology and trends. Technology is becoming now uncontrollable for many of us. I was driving the other day, and I said, sometimes I'm guilty of it too, but there's a guy beside me, and he was just down in his phone, looking up, down in his phone, and he was really actually on the phone, secondarily driving. It was so powerful. It was a force controlling him, even to the detriment of his own life. And I thought to myself, I said, but what did we do several years ago when we didn't have this? Didn't we just drive our cars to our destination, pull over to a payphone? <laughs> payphone is a little box that they used to have on the street. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. You go in there like Superman, use the phone. That's what we used to do back there. This is the mountain watch. Watch this, where all will see and hear. I read a scripture, gentlemen, a day. It said that the two witnesses, Robert, they'll fall on the street and all the nations will see them. And I said, how is that possible? When I was reading it years ago, then I realized, of course it's possible. It's possible because of social media, because of this. Because of people in their videos. Take a video of Lucy sitting there, upload it, all of a sudden it goes viral. Billions of people see it. It's a medium where people will see and they will hear. Lastly, watch this. This mountain is vital for those who have a message. If you have a message, you have to have the mastery of the media. In the 1400s, 
the printing press came along because before the printing press, if you want to get your message out, a herald will say, hear ye, hear ye, hear the message, run from town to town. Printing press changed that. After the printing press came radio. After radio came television. After television came the personal computer. After the personal computer came this, the smartphone. And here's the interesting thing. The media, which was once uncontrollable, is now in our hands. We're all media agents. We all have our channels if we want to. We can put a microphone in our home and we can send our message. If the body of Christ does not understand the power of the medium, our message, how can they hear without a preacher? How can the preacher preach except he use YouTube? That's really what the book is trying to tell us. This mountain has to be mastered. God says, how beautiful upon the mountains. Notice, are the feet of them that publish good tidings. And the goal of the media is to tell people, our God reigns. That's the goal of the media. I'm coming down now. Team, you can come. I went through this because I need to go somewhere next week. I want to show you why it's important now for us to be present on these mountains. I'll make a statement. It'll be hard. We can sing as hard as we want to sing. We can dance as long as we want to dance. We can speak in tongues as long as we want. But unless we are present on these mountains, our Christianity is of none effect. Uh, let me not say it like that. It's of minimal effect. And that woman continues to pollute the mountains and lead the nations down to hell. Can you rise on your feet, everyone? We're going to pray. Uh, um, Jen, could you just move it just a little this way? And Vanessa, I just want them to see these uh, two scriptures. This is what God promised us. Can you all see that scripture? When Israel was a nation, God said, I made him ride on the high places of the earth. This is my promise to Israel, that he might eat the increase of the fields. I made him to suck honey out of the rock, and I gave him oil out of the flinty rock. That was Israel. Listen to the promise that God makes to us through Habakkuk. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like the feet of deers. These are the mountain goats that run up the mountains. And he will make me to walk upon my high places robert to the chief musician and the chief singers on stringed instruments god is calling us to the mountains the mountains of society of discipline of culture god is calling us lift your hands everyone there is a place for every single person on a specific mountain there is a place for every one of us according to our giftings and our callings. We are not going to shy away from the mountains. Our God is the God of the hills and he is the God of the valleys. We ask God this morning to make our feet like hinds feet and set us on the high places that we might begin to unseat principalities and powers that have ruled in the high places for centuries and begin to tell the world, our God reigns. Raise those hands even higher. Come, Jen, come and take your place right here. 
I forgot to tell you, and I'm way over my time. Jennifer and Vanessa and Trey and all the others, you guys are actually in multiple mountains. And don't run from it. You're in the mountain of God, and you're also in the mountain of entertainment. Don't let anyone tell you that you don't perform. You perform for God. You should be the best at what you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. You should make me dance. Make me lift my hands. Make me move my feet. Come on, shout hallelujah, everyone.